Go ahead and be opening your Bible, please, to the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, Psalm 119, or if you uh, read the Bible with us on a pad or your phone, uh, Psalm 119. Earlier this week, I was speaking with a member of our church whose wife has been through some really challenging times in recent years. She had cancer and overcame that. Then she had a stroke and made a good recovery. And now she's dealing with back problems and has trouble walking and getting out of the house. And I think if we took the time to go around the room this morning, all of us could share about people we know and people we love, people maybe in our immediate family or extended family, good friends, or maybe it's you yourself, who who have experienced challenges in life, hard times in life. And it's, it's a reality, and I shouldn't have to state it, but I want to state it because we hear so much nonsense in this world today in, in the name of religion, in the name of Christianity. But the reality is that God's people, those who love the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart, soul, and mind, sometimes suffer. Jesus never said, because you follow me, there will not be any problems in your life. He never said if you're hurting or something bad happens, it's because of something particular, specific you did that was wrong. And I want to state that because we should know that, but we hear just the opposite sometimes, that, that if you have enough faith, your life will always be easy. If you have enough faith, you'll always be healed. If you have enough faith, those problems will go away. And sometimes we are healed. Sometimes the problems do go away, but sometimes they don't go away. And sometimes God's answer is, not to heal, right? And when we observe the Lord's Supper in a few moments, reflect on the fact that Jesus had perfect faith and he suffered because it was part of the plan of God and it was for the sake of the kingdom of God. It was for the sake of our salvation. Suffering is sometimes a part of our life. It's not always easy. And in this sermon series about following Jesus, we're, we're, we're looking at, at what the Bible teaches about being a disciple, and last Sunday and today in particular, about following Christ in those seasons when life is difficult, when it's hard. And we're using the stories of the, the Ten Boom family to illustrate the biblical teaching about following Christ. So picking up on what we did last Sunday, I want to continue today. And share with you some things that you and I as followers of Christ are supposed to do when life is hard. And the first one this morning is this. We're to pray. Pray for God to give us guidance as we face decisions and as we face challenges. The uh, Tim Boom family turned their house, as you know, into a hiding place for Jews. And uh, this board over here is a a picture from the outside of their storefront house, and they lived in the floors above. And on the screen, a photograph of Corey Ten Boom when she was older, going back to her home, which is today a museum there in Holland. And in her bedroom, which was on the very top floor at the back of the house, they built a false wall. They just pulled it forward. It was narrow. And uh, you see the opening which showed uh, where the Jews were hiding. And then where she's pointing is the trap door in the bottom of her closet that was built out from that wall. And that's how they would get into the hiding place. It all started rather accidentally. It wasn't a plan. Now, their heart was always to help people. And you've heard stories of things they would do. But one evening during dinner, there was a knock on the door, and it was a, a, a Jewish woman. 
The following evening, there was a knock and there was an elderly Jewish couple. The fact that this family had a reputation for being authentic followers of Christ who cared about people and, and weren't just church people, but they were the real deal. And, and the community knew that they cared about people and would help people. People started showing, showing up. And after that couple showed up, Corey decided she needed to hop on the train and visit her brother who was a minister already involved in the Dutch underground opposing the Nazis. So she went to visit him to get some guidance and he told her that they couldn't have a lot of conversation or contact. She had to develop her own contacts and her own sources for security's sake and she'd never done anything like this. The one advantage their family had was they were very connected in their city. They knew a lot of people. And on the train ride back home, she prayed for God to give her wisdom because they would need people to help them get ration cards because you couldn't get any food without ration cards and no Jews were given ration cards. They would need medical treatment at times, whether it was a doctor or a nurse. There were all these different needs, services, and so who was going to help them with that? And it was risky to ask anyone to help because you didn't know who would turn you in. You didn't know who was already cooperating with the Nazis or not. And so she was praying on that train ride for God to guide her, to give her wisdom, and a name came to her mind. The father of a now adult girl who, as a child, had been part of her of Corey's uh, Sunday school class, if you will, for the mentally handicapped. And he had recently gotten a job in the office where the Nazis printed their uh, ration cards. And the story goes that she went and visited him and he became the source of their ration cards. And over the next three years as they carried out this work of saving the lives of hundreds of Jews praying for wisdom from God and listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit to speak to this person and not speak to that person became central to their obeying what God had called them to do. Now here's one of the things I want you to get. They were already prayer warriors. They had already trained themselves discipline themselves to be people of prayer you remember the early sermons how every morning every night they would gather for bible reading and prayer prayer was a an integral part of their walk with christ so when the moment of crisis came and it was important they be able to hear the voice of god as he spoke to them that they be sensitive to what is the promptings of god and what simply your emotions or mind talking to you the fact that they had been disciplined in learning how to pray made a huge difference. And I want to suggest to you and me that when difficult times come, prayer is essential. Not only for God to intervene, but it's important for us to hear the voice of God, to know what we're to do in the midst of whatever we're going through. But your prayers are going to be more powerful and you're going to be better attuned to hearing the voice of God when you're praying in moments of crisis if you have been a prayer warrior before the crisis ever came. It just makes a difference. And one of the best things you can do for yourself right now if you're not in a difficult time is learn to pray. Don't wait until the hard moment comes. Now, if you're already in a difficult time, pray because God can teach you to pray during it. But don't wait to learn everything the hard way, my brothers and sisters. 
in your notes and on the screen, and we'll be in Psalm 119 in a moment, but look at this passage from James chapter 1. That's an interesting verse. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. The King James, count it all joy when you fall into. Go back to verse 2, please. The idea is to look ahead, consider, count. It's, it's, it's almost like a math term, and you're counting it all up, and you're looking into the future. And because of that, because you're looking to the future in this present moment, when you're going through something challenging, he says you consider it, you count it, you view it with joy. Now, that, that just seems contrary to human nature, doesn't it? Now, let's look at the next two verses. Knowing that, here's why. The testing of your faith. And by the way, there's a Greek word that can be translated trial, test, or temptation. It's like a coin has a heads and a tail, but it's the same coin. Every experience in life is both a a temptation and a trial, a temptation and a test. How you deal with it determines which it becomes for you. And so he says, knowing that when your faith is challenged, if you respond properly, It does something in you. It produces endurance, and then endurance produces an additional work or result that you can be perfect or mature, complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, God can use the challenges of life if you allow him to, to, to develop you, to mature you, to grow you. In other words, the difficult moments in life are either going to make you or break you. They're either going to strengthen you or weaken you. And if you understand that and you say, I'm going to be a person of faith through whatever happens in life, you're able to look on the other side, even though this is painful and there are tears and there's nothing joyous about the experience, you can look beyond what is happening now and say, that day I will be stronger, I will be better, I will be more mature, I will have insights. And you say, I don't want to go through this, but I am thankful that God's going to bring something good into my life on the other side if and only if I respond in love and faith. Now the next verse. But if any of you lacks wisdom, do what? Let them ask of God. What is that? Prayer. Who won't criticize you when you are in a difficult moment and saying, God, I don't get it. I don't know what to do because God will generously answer that prayer with promptings and with wisdom and with insight. And so become a prayer warrior before the difficult times and then remain a prayer warrior during the difficult times. And God, you'll, you'll hear the voice of God. You want to know what, what does God want me to do? How does God want me to respond? You need to be able to hear his voice. And you're not going to hear his voice if you don't know how to pray. So learn to pray. Learn to pray. Number two, we read the word of God and we obey the word of God. Now, a couple years ago, whenever I, I spent several weeks preaching through Psalm 119, I want to remind us of some of those verses. Look at verse 24 of Psalm 119. Verse, verse 24. Your testimonies, and remember in Psalm 119 there are a, a series of different words that, that all refer to the Word of God. Testimonies is, is one of those. God, it's like God is speaking on the witness stand. So this is God's testimony in court, if you will, the Bible. 
And so he says in verse 24, your testimonies also are my delight. They are my counselors. Whenever God prompts you in your heart and in your mind while you're praying, it will always be in agreement with what he says in his word. When people say, well, you know, I think and I feel and what they think and what they feel and what they think God is okay with is contrary to the word of God. They are following their own human emotion, their own sinful instinct, and not the word of God or the voice of God because the voice of God in your heart will never disagree with the word of God in the Bible. And he says, one of the things I take joy in that I delight in, God, is your testimonies, your word. They are my counselors. They give me guidance. They give me advice through the good times and the bad times. And you'll see that more clearly as we go on. Look at verse 28. He says, my soul weeps because of grief. We all get that. When you're grieving, you cry outwardly and inwardly. He says, strengthen me. How? According to your word. There is something about burying ourselves in the Word of God that gives us a strength in the midst of our tears. Look at verse 50 of Psalm 119. This is my comfort in my affliction. It's like a little child who skins their knee. What do they do? They run to mom or dad, right? And you pick them up and you hug them and, 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 and you hold on to them until they stop crying. We've all been there, right? He said, my comfort when I'm afflicted is your word. Your word revives me. Your word helps me to feel good. When I'm afflicted, when it's hard, God, your word embraces me. Your word is that loving hug. But God's word can't hug you if you don't ever read it. God's word doesn't hug you when it just stays on the nightstand or the bookshelf until Sunday morning rolls around. Look at verse 61. The cords of the wicked, the ropes of the wicked, if you will, have encircled me. Have you ever felt like uh, people were out to get you? You ever gone through an experience in life when people hurt you? People did wrong to you? The cords of the wicked have encircled me, but I have not forgotten your word, your law, your truth. Don't allow the circumstances of life to determine whether or not you run to the word of God Stay in his word all the time. Whatever happens in life. Look at uh, verse 87. He says, they almost destroyed me on earth. Pretty bleak picture, isn't it? Does that sound like the experience of the Ten Boom family? Casper, the elderly father, died in Nazi prison. Betsy, Corey's sister, died in a Nazi concentration camp. One of her nephews captured helping a a British pilot escape 
after he had to uh, jump out of his plane that had been shot down, died in a concentration camp. They almost destroyed me on earth. But as for me, I did not forsake your precepts, your word, your truth. When Corey and Betsy were in the concentration camps, they wanted a Bible. But Bibles were banned. And if you were caught with one, it meant immediate death. Discussing the Bible with fellow prisoners was banned and would be strictly punished. When Corey and Betsy were in uh, Shevinigan, remember they were in three different places, Shevinigan, the the prison in Holland and then a concentration camp in Holland and then finally in Ravensbrück in Germany near Berlin. When they were in Schwenigen, her family was allowed to visit her once after her father died for the reading of the will, interestingly. And when Betsy and Corey were in this small room with one German officer as he had his back turned to them, warming himself by the stove, one of her family members snuck her a small Bible in a pouch that she would carry around her neck and under her dress. When they were transferred to Ravensbrook, being processed into that concentration camp, these women were in this large room, and at one end of it they had to un- they had to undress, and all those clothes were in a big pile, and then they had to walk into another room where they would take a shower and then put on a, a thin cotton dress from a pile that was stored in there. And they would go in groups. One group would go in and come out, and then another group would go in. And while they were standing in line, Betsy was sick, and she asked the guard because, Corey asked the guard because Betsy needed to use the bathroom, and, and he angrily pointed to the shower room. There was not a group in there at that moment. And uh, they went in, and he slammed the door behind them. And there was a stack of benches near those dresses in that shower room, and she hid her Bible in those benches. And so later, when they went into that same room to shower and put on that thin cotton dress, she was able to retrieve her Bible, put it around her neck, and hide it under that thin dress. But she couldn't really hide it because it was bulging. You couldn't keep it from being seen. And so she prayed for God's angels to hide her. And as they left the shower room, they were patted down on the front, the back, and the side. And the woman in front of Corey was patted down, and Betsy behind her was patted down, but no one touched Corey as she walked through the door. As they were leaving the building, they were searched again. But this time, a woman in front of Corey became hysterical, and the guards were focused on her, and Corey walked right by them and out the door with her Bible intact. And they would use that during the months at Ravensbrook to do evangelism and lead worship services in their barracks. Now let me ask you an important question. How important is God's Word in your life? Because if the guard had caught her with that Bible on her body, she would have been executed immediately. How important is God's Word in your life? When was the last time you read it and it wasn't a Sunday morning? 
How consistently do you read it? Is it as as he describes in Psalm 119 like honey that's sweet to your mouth? What role does the Word of God play in your daily walk with Jesus Christ? Do you hunger for it? Do you read it? Do you learn it, study it, memorize it? Do you, do you live your life in accordance with what it says? In the freest of all nations where most of us have multiple Bibles in our homes... Gave them strength. But remember, they didn't suddenly want a Bible after they were arrested, did they? This was the family that said they loved the Lord and they loved the Word of God so much that every morning they read it. Every evening they read it. Sometimes crisis does not make us, but rather reveal who we really are. How important, again, I ask, is Bible reading. You're going to go through some challenging times in life. That is the time you need to run to God's Word, not run away from it. And just like with praying, you need to be doing it before the hard times come. Number three, trust God's loving care for you. Trust God's loving care for you. Psalm 4, 8, in peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. Philippians 4, verses 11 to 13, we often quote verse 13, but forget verses 11 and 12. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, he says. Now notice that, in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret. I've learned the secret, he says, of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering needs. What's the secret? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, the promise of verse 13 is that if you live an authentic Christ-honoring life, in the good times and the hard times, if you pray, if you read his word, if you if you turn your heart to him all the time, you can find a strength for whatever happens in life, whether it's good or bad or in between. Jesus is the secret. Jesus is the secret. Our journey as a follower of Christ begins when we hear his voice saying, Come, follow me. And then in our hearts we answer, Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. It's all about a relationship with King Jesus. But then we get in church and we become religious and we make it about everything but Jesus Christ. 
We talk about everything in church but Jesus Christ. Some of you are going to talk about ball games this morning ten times more than you're going to talk about Jesus Christ. It's even in church sometimes we're, we're hesitant to use the name Jesus because we've forgotten what it means to be in love with Jesus Christ, the Savior of our soul. He's the secret, brothers and sisters. It's Him. It's Him. And as we looked at last Sunday, Romans 8, 20, 28, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Not that all things are good, but that God takes all things, including bad things, and he can bring something good out of them if we love him. It's the same thing James was saying in those verses we looked at a few moments ago, that that on the other side of it, there can be the joy of growth and spiritual maturity. That's the reason... Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5 that we're to cast all our anxiety, all of our worry, all of our fear on who? Him. Because he cares for us. Now, none of those verses are telling us we never suffer. The Bible doesn't say that God always protects us from bad things. Sometimes he does. But other times he allows us to suffer. Is that not true? But we trust him. What do we do as followers of Christ? We trust him and we trust his plans no matter what. And we gain strength from him. And we are thankful for the times we know about that he protects us. And we give him thanks because there are times we don't have a clue about that he's also protecting us. Without his caring Grace, our lives would be so much worse than they are right now. Before the Ten Boom family was arrested, the Germans were using their country as a staging ground to send planes to England on bombing raids. One night, in the sky above their home, the Germans and the British were in a dogfight, the planes were shooting at one another, and it was loud, and Corey couldn't sleep, so she got up and went down to the kitchen where her sister was. And they were drinking tea in the middle of the night. And suddenly there was a, a loud explosion, and the house shook. About an hour later, the dogfight was over, and Corey went to her room to go to bed, and she was reaching for her pillow, and she, she cut her hand on a piece of metal. There was about a a 10-inch piece of shrapnel from the plane fighting that had been going on above their home. And she ran back down to the kitchen to where her sister was, and she said, Betsy, if if I hadn't been in the kitchen with you, and Betsy told her, don't say it, Corey. Now listen to this. She said, there are no ifs in God's world. And no place is safer than other places. The center of his will is our only safety. And God's loving care for those who love him. 96,000 women were executed by the Nazis in Ravensbrück concentration camp. 
96,000 women. In 1959, Corey returned to that camp with a group of women to honor those who had died. And during her visit, she learned that her release had been a clerical mistake. And one week after her release, every woman in the camp her age had been executed. That was no mistake. We trust him. And then finally, we rest in Jesus. We just rest in Jesus. You need a place to sit down, to rest your weary soul? It's Jesus. Come to me, he said, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you what? Rest. He is our very own hiding place. Psalm 119, verse 114 You are my hiding place and my shield. I wait for your word. Psalm 91, verses 1 and following. Psalm 91, verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I love that image. Being a mountain boy, I know what it's like. When trees or the hillside blocks the sun on a hot summer day and you stand and rest in the shade. When you dwell in the shelter of the Most High, when you, when you stay in the presence of God, when, when you turn to Him rather than running from Him, you stand in the shade, the cool, comforting shade of the Almighty. I will say, he adds in verse 2, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. When Corey was first arrested and taken to Shevinigan prison by the Nazis. She spent four months in solitary confinement, a small, narrow cell with a putrid-smelling cot for a bed. It was lonely and it was hard. And one day she noticed a little black ant running around the floor. She'd almost stepped on him. (laughs) She just noticed that little ant. And she stared at him as he disappeared into a crack in the floor. For supper, every day they were given a small piece of bread. That was it. And she took some of those crumbs and spread them on the floor, and he came out and carried one down the crack. And that became their routine day after day. And and in time, he was joined by some friends. They were her company those four months in solitary confinement. One day she was on her knees with a wet rag trying to mop the floor when the water (laughs) touched her friend and he scurried away to hide. And she said it was as if God was talking to her. 
As if God asked, Corey, what about that ant? He didn't stop to look at the wet rag or his weak feet. He went straight to his hiding place. She said it was as if God was telling her not to focus on how strong or how weak her faith was, not to dwell on how badly she was being treated. Just run to your hiding place. Run to your Jesus. Run to the shelter. Run to the shade of the Almighty. And she said as a 53-year-old woman, it was there in that solitary cell, she learned what it really meant to get your strength from Jesus and nowhere else. Where does your strength come from? Where do you run when life is not easy? Where do you stand when life is easy and everything's going your way? What's your prayer life like? What's your Bible reading like? Are you running to Christ? Is he your hiding place? Is Jesus your Savior? Because, my friend, you can't run to Jesus if he's not your Savior. You can't run to Jesus when times are tough if you've never given your life to him. And so this morning I'm asking you to give your life to Christ if you've never done that. Some of you need to run to Jesus still on that cross and say, Jesus, thank you for dying to pay the penalty for my sin. And right now, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to cleanse me. I ask you to save me. I ask you to give me eternal life. And Jesus, right now, I give my life to you. I will be a follower of Jesus Christ. And when we stand and sing this hymn and pastors are here at the front, I'm asking you to come to one of these pastors and say, today I'm coming to Christ. I want him to be my Savior. I want him to be my Lord. Others of you are Christians. You've not been running to Jesus. You've not been resting in Jesus. You've not been hiding in Jesus. And this morning you need to repent of that and ask your Father to forgive you for how you've just kind of put him on the back burner how you focus more on problems and challenges and people and things than you have Jesus Christ. And ask him to forgive you for that and say, Lord Jesus, I'm coming home, so to speak, and I'm going to fix my eyes on you, the author and perfecter of my faith, and I'm not glancing anywhere. I'm keeping, I'm keeping my eyes fixed on you, Jesus. I'm going to run to you, Christ. I'm going to hide in you, Jesus. So let's stand and sing together and pastors will be here at the front. Come and as a Christian, get on your knees at this altar and talk to God about your life. Prepare yourself for observing this Lord's Supper in just a moment. Come and give your heart to Christ and be saved. Come and join this church. Come and pray right now as we sing together.